Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hey, uh, I just wanted to let y'all know, this was recorded before uh, the recent reports of Zion potentially being involved in a trade to, uh, to someone for the second or third overall pick. We don't discuss that much. They, uh, I was not on this pod. They do discuss a little bit about Zion and you know the unlikelihood that he's actually moved on from. But with that reporting, I thought it was it worth at least worth letting you guys know that there is a, a chance that that happens. And uh, I think in general that would be a bad idea. But also, it's hard to not understand it with kind of the the um, issues with his injuries and stuff. And I'd be fascinated to see how it goes. But that is not really discussed here. So I think it's a great episode. Still lots of you know, draft discussions and, uh, you know, a, a Zion for Scoot swap would be one of the most interesting challenge trades of all time. So if that does happen, um, we'll, we'll probably record something quickly on that. Uh, but until then, uh, this is what we got. Thank you. What's up, everyone? Uh, welcome to the Upside Swings podcast. I am not your host, Bryce Hendrick, but I am Stone Hansen today. Uh, I'm not joined by any of my regular co-hosts. One is off in Zambia and one is... Uh, currently busy at home, uh, and tonight we have the great Chuck from the Chuck and Darts podcast. Um, you can also check out his Substack for any of his additional awesome work that he puts out for the draft for the NBA. Uh, one of my favorite follows. We've known each other for a long time now. Uh, it's always enjoyable to you know have our discussions that go way longer than we always intend. Um, thanks for coming on again, Chuck. I know you're really busy. How's it going? Oh, thanks so much for having me, Stone. This is wonderful. I We've come a long way since I think the first time I came on Upside Swings mid-quarantine where it was, <laughs> I believe I was just trying to do it like via my phone and find reception. <laughs> and it, that was like an editing nightmare for you guys. But I think we managed to discuss like, uh, you know, I feel like Jaden Springer was discussed. Herb yeah, Jones. the Tennessee guys. Yeah, yeah, Keon Johnson. That, I mean, that was a lot of fun. It's <laughs> it's weird to have been doing this stuff for long enough that I can look back on like the good old days. That is very <laughs> bizarre, but I'm very happy to be here. How are you? Doing good. Um, obviously a lot of busyness going on for for all of us during this time, but I'm excited for the draft each day. It's like a little bit closer. Uh, and, and, you know, each week that rolls around, it's like more and more exciting that it's almost here. So yeah, doing well. Yeah. Um, we're here today in our next uh, series in the 30 for 30 podcast. We're going to be talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Chuck is is probably the biggest Pelicans fan outside of like people that live in New Orleans. So <laughs> I really wanted to get him on for this one. Uh, we wanted to get him on for a podcast and, and we were like, you know, this is uh, this is his team, just like his adoptive team. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the Pelicans. Uh, we'll start off here with like what, how did you think the Pelican season went last year? How would you describe just their overall season and, and where they ended off? Uh, yeah, I mean, another season of stops and starts like they you obviously saw all the talent at the beginning of the year when Zion was healthy. I think they were first or second in the West in uh, like mid-December. They were really, really good. And 
he gets hurt and then they it's funny you know they struggle they eventually get to uh the play-in but they lose a wild game against uh the wolves to at the in the last game of the regular season that put them in the 9-10 rather than in the 7-8 and that was the game where Jaden McDaniels you know, punched a wall and broke his hand and you know put himself out for the year but what was sort of lost in all that is the Wolves completed a crazy comeback in that game that the the Pels are on the verge of having like a second consecutive really impressive road I mean, I guess that was wasn't technically a play-in game, but reminiscent of how they played uh, at the Clippers the year before, which was the game that put them in the playoffs in the series against the Suns, with largely the same team because Zion was gone, but wasn't to be this time. And over the last couple of years, you know, the the team without Zion obviously has been on the court more than the team with him. And now that that, you know, Anyone can get hurt for one season. That happens all the time. But when it's a two-season process, there naturally starts to be questions about, okay, well, what can we really expect out of Zion moving forward? And Zion is such a unique piece. You know, he's not like Durant where you can plop him into any lineup and it's just going to be fine. You know, he requires a little bit of accommodation around him as to how the team's going to play, how they're going to look what their schemes are going to be, particularly on defense. And since there's a lot of uncertainty with his availability, the team is in a little bit of flux. Now, they still have a ton of talent, and they are basically, you know, I still think they are more or less a 500 team, even without him, in terms of talent. But the competition's not getting any easier for them. Uh a lot of teams are going to be coming up who've been drafting at the top of the lottery. I mean, even in their division, to the extent divisions still matter in the league, you know, they have, I believe they're with the three Texas teams and the Grizzlies. And that's just to, that's just to focus on a, a third of the West. And, you know, assuming <laughs> we think what's going to happen in San Antonio, I mean, the Spurs are going to get a lot better very quickly. The Rockets, I'm very high on. I love their talent. I think they're going to get better quickly. And I think Udoka, for whatever off-the-court nonsense he's been involved in, is a very good on-the-court coach. Um, and the Mavs, even if they're stepping on rakes, are still very dangerous. And then the Grizzlies, same thing. So they they need to really... I think they'll preach patience internally uh, with the Zion situation and with... Willie Green, and I think the vibes are still positive enough off of that playoff run that no one's really hitting the panic button, which is okay. But they need to ask themselves very serious questions about how they want to look and how they want to play. And I think if they are on top of on top of it this offseason, they'll be doing things, they'll be making sort of proactive moves six months to a year ahead of when you know, they otherwise would. Because if they wait six months to a year to try to trade Jonas Valanciunas, for example, um, then they're going to just lose leverage because they're going to end up being a desperate team in the market. And that's what I hope that they avoid doing. So still, I mean, they've got a lot to like. 
but there's a lot of tweaks under the hood that I think they need to make. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you look across the the whole uh, roster, and there's there's talent really at every position. Um, the biggest thing is obviously has been health. I think for the most part with them, um, you know, the arguably their best player um, has been hurt for the majority of the time. But you get one healthy season that could really change, you know, the trajectory of of how this team is viewed and, and how the front office views them. Uh, and you kind of touched on it a bit, but just like give me your brief like sort of expectations as to what you think this team can achieve into next season. If Zion's healthy, man, I mean, like if he is healthy and he plays just like the modern star equivalent of games, like the, the modern baseline is like 60 to 65 games. I think that next year, the all NBA uh, or like the postseason award requirement of 65 kicks in, but lots of stars play 60 to 65. If he can do that, then they're going to be a top six team. I mean, the offense is just too, it's too good. And they, even though their defensive personnel isn't great, um, they will rebound the hell out of the ball on defense. And they've played together for long enough. You know, guys like, you know, Nance has now been there a couple of years. Valanchunas has been there a few years. They'll be able to just sort of scheme execute their way to like a top 20 ish defense and a top 20 ish defense and a top six offense, which is what they're going to have. If Zion's there, uh, means they're going to be a top six team in the West and they'll be dangerous. So it, it seems like a long time ago that people were talking about the Pelicans as a 50 win team this past season, but that was the talk in December that it was, these guys are absolutely Western conference contenders this year, right now. And that that can be them next year. So it's it it is a obviously a cop out to talk about health, but it's hard not to talk about it when it comes to this team. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it is integral to their success. And I think um, it, it sort of leads me into do you think their current core uh, you touched on it a bit, but like th- let's say like their their big four, I guess, of like McCollum, Valanchunas, uh, Ingram, and Zion. Like, do you think heading into next season that it, it looks pretty stable for them, or do you think there's going to be like any major shakeups to try and accelerate that that winning trajectory a bit? Yeah. So if it were if it were me, I would at least explore trading Valanchunas and seeing what sort of constructions are out there. Now it's. Obviously, you know, the fan brain can say, oh, well, we could just trade him here and because they need a center or whatever. But you really need to find equal value. You need to find a deal that works for both sides. Um, I think just to name like throw out a name that might be available for them if they were to trade valentunas and nance that gets them to 25 26 million in room they can probably add a salary or whatever that that is enough to put themselves i think in the the ayton market if they wanted to they'd have to attach picks to get that done but if they wanted to do that that would be i think uh Something that's very interesting. Now, that might seem sort of like a move for the sake of making a move, but Aiton is talented and he's durable. 
Uh, their rebounding wouldn't fall off because he's an excellent rebounder and I, he could execute a scheme on defense. Now, whether or not that that's the real ceiling raise of a move for that team, I don't quite know, but it's, it, it's all about expectations with them is a successful season uh, winning one playoff series and then bowing out because that has not happened for this core. This team has not accomplished that since Chris Paul was there. So I would assume that that would be enough to be considered a success. And that, even if they don't trade Valanciunas and Nance, is on the table if Zion, as long as Zion's healthy. They can win a series. So I don't I don't know that they would, you know, really be able to do more than that. I think they'd have to have things really fall in their favor to, to win more than the series next year. But uh, that, you know they would have every reason to call that a success. And because all of that's on the table, because they had those first great couple months, I don't expect them to really rock the boat. I mean, I really don't. I think with small markets, if small markets are very reluctant, I think to do these real earth shattering trades until they really don't have any other option. I think, think back to the, um, Halliburton and Sabonis trade, which has you know worked out very well for both sides. But you have to look at where both organizations were. I mean, Fox and Halliburton were playing together, but were awful on defense. And the team had been bad for a long time. They still got criticized for that trade, but there's no question that Halliburton would not be what he is in Indiana if he'd stayed in Sacramento and Fox would not be a second team all NBA player if they'd kept Halliburton. And on the other side, Indiana had been at the playoffs over and over and over and had really gotten swept multiple times. And like the message had been sent that the Sabonis Turner, it had, it had all run its course. And so that's how a deal like that, which was considered a surprise, but that's how a deal like like that for two small market teams materializes is there's like the writing is not only on the wall the writing is like in people's mouths and for uh new orleans that they just aren't there yet it has not been drilled home that this core can't contend quite the opposite so because of that i don't expect them to make a move unless somehow they really felt like they had some offer they couldn't refuse but i i doubt that happens yeah, and the other aspect of that too is that you know they have this main core, but they've steadily like been collecting assets each year. Um, whether it's mostly through the lottery, but even um, you know, outside of the lottery, they they found success with their their draft picks as of recent. Um, you know, you you on your show like to uh, synonymize prospects with like darts. So for the sake of <laughs> you uh, being a special guest today, we'll we'll call them darts. Um, I know some of your favorites are like Murphy, um, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels. I was huge on Dyson. I missed on the other two quite badly, but, um, what is, uh, what are you thinking? Like is the role for these guys? I know you mentioned earlier, um, defense, they don't have the defensive personnel. I think these younger guys is sort mm. of like that, um, actualizing within the next year or two of, of, of filling those sort of roles. So, how do you view them moving forward uh, with this core? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's a great point to identify these three as players who could 
help, I guess, transition them into more of a two-way identity. Um, they have guys who play hard on defense, but Herb, obviously, he's already a tone setter for them on defense. And it's just, their challenge is finding a way to get all of their best, most talented players on the floor at the same time. Because Trey had, I think, what most would consider like a breakout year, year two. And the reason he was able to do that largely was because not only was Zion down, but Ingram was down for a large portion of the season. And so they had to start him. And when Trey gets playing time anywhere, this is going back to Rice in high school, he is a 50-40-90 player. I mean, that's just <laughs> what he is. So they he gets that extended run. They see how effective he is at scoring the ball while taking, you know, comparatively very few dribbles. So he becomes a very efficient, low turnover kind of player. Um, and they're like, oh, this is great. We, you know, this is amazing. But Trey is still developing on defense. He's still getting his body into really, you know, elite NBA shape. And when Ingram's back, you know, you have two very talented, uh, but similar body types in sort of tall, skinny wings with him and Ingram. And so if you're going to start those two, if Trey's too good to sit, then, you know, you're going to start CJ and probably Valanchunas. You know, if you, you're going to start CJ for sure, and you're going to start Zion for sure. And so if, you're, if that's your five, Zion, Trey, Ingram, uh, CJ, and Valanchunas, then defensively you got a lot to figure out. I mean, you you have a lot to figure out. And that's why I think that Dyson and Herb, both really, really tremendous players, but you start to see that though they've done a really good job accumulating talent, Really, I think a a very modern challenge in the NBA is figuring out how that talent fits. It it for decades and decades in the NBA, it was you just take the talent and it'll sort of figure itself out just because you have talent. But everyone has talent now. And Herb's by far their best point of attack guy. Dyson's their second best point of attack guy. Dyson probably has you know, among the two or three in terms of like overall um, feel on both sides of the ball, just talent for reading the game. Dyson is one of their probably three best players and you need to get him reps so that he is comfortable shooting so that he can stick on the court. It's, it's like a chicken and egg thing. You can't, if he is, if he's passive on the court, then he'll lose minutes. But if he loses minutes, he can't get his confidence up to be aggressive enough to play on the court. So they, that's a, he was picked eighth in the draft and they have to get him minutes. And so what are the lineups where they give him? How many, how many minutes do they give him? They have to figure all that out. And uh, those three are all really good, but only one of them is going to start until a major shakeup happens. And, Ingram and Zion, for as much talent as they share between the two of them offensively, neither one of them can play five. Neither one of them is going to play five. So you're going to have those two plus a five plus CJ, and the minutes are just going to dry up. Like it's, it is a, still a good problem to have, but it is a problem 
that they need to figure out. And their coaching staff, obviously, you know, that means green first and foremost, really needs to work out these rotations. I'm not saying anything that everyone doesn't already know really about the team, but it is it is priority number two. Priority number one is Zion's health, but priority number two is figuring that out because uh, I would think that in order to um, really reach where they need to go, two of those players at least needs to be starting at some point. Whenever this version of the Pelicans is at their peak, two of Trey, Herb, and Dyson need to be getting 25 to 30 minutes a night. Either that or one of them is getting that amount of time and the other two have been traded or at least one of the other two have been traded for someone else. I just, I think the math of the roster is sort of pointing towards that outcome. And unless there's something I'm not expecting, like a CJ trade, but I'd be very surprised since they just resigned him last year and they value him so much uh, as a culture setter. Be very surprised if that happens. So that that's sort of what's in the balance, man. It's going to be a year. Uh, this year is where if they have another year like they did last year with Zion's, you know, in and out of the lineup, and they are kind of in the play-in mix, and they just never felt like they put their best foot forward. At that point, change is going to come. Three years of the same. That's sort of the the mark in the NBA now. Even teams that tank. You see it now with the Rockets. We want to contend next year. The Pistons, we want to, you know, get good now. Uh, three years is about the max. So if they're stuck in the same position for three years, expect changes next offseason or by the trade deadline. Yeah, um, and that's a good point you bring up with, like, minutes and stuff because uh, you mentioned, you know, earlier with the Kings of, like, Halliburton and Fox. They're you can hit a team can hit on their pick and, and make the successful and the right pick that, that ends up working out for them. But at the same time, you want them to get as far as they can with your team. And at some point that it might mean that the current team you have with them isn't what gets them there. So I th- I think, you know, you want to make sure you're doing what's best for your team, but also you don't want to hold these prospects back in any way. And I think trying to figure out how to give them minutes it is going to be crucial in their development and, and how they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to switch gears a little bit uh, because this obviously is a primarily a draft show and you do a lot of draft stuff as well. Um, they have the 14th pick in this uh, in this upcoming draft. Do you see any possibility of them moving up, moving down or even out um, with this pick? They could like someone, you know, really, really high. Do you think they end up, you know, moving up multiple spots to do that or do you think they would possibly think we should trade down or is there a player that they might feel is more win now that they might take uh great question i think that they could do any of that they can trade down because there's enough teams with multiple picks in the 20s that all it takes for them is to fall in love with someone and the the Pelicans could come back and say, sure, you know, we'll take the extra asset. No problem. This draft to me is very uh, deep in that part of the draft where the Pels are taking. I think there are probably 12 to 15 picks that are like between the value of a 12th and 15th pick (laughs) in the draft. So uh, they certainly could do that as just an asset play. 
they also can move up because they still have these extra picks from the Lakers in the future and swap rights and stuff like that from the Anthony Davis trade. So if they really loved someone, if they feel like, you know what, Case uh, and Wallace is just who we want. We want him in our guard rotation. That'd be so surprised to me with having taken Dyson, but Kaysen would work well on their team. And if that's who they want, they could go, they can move up two or three spots and get them. Um, in terms of a win now player, uh, there is a player I want them to draft, but the win now player who's like, he's going to play in our rotation from day one and give us something that we need would probably be uh, Hawkins, Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut. Cause they need perimeter shooting. Um, and Hawkins can really shoot and Hawkins is going to pick up NBA concepts very quickly. He's going to be able to like Trey, he's going to be able to play efficiently with, you know, few dribbles and he's going to help space him out and give gravity. So, uh, that would be the guy if they're looking to win immediately. Uh, we can talk about like the player I want them yeah, to take. Let's just get into like, yeah. What's your like ideal picks for the, for the Pelicans here? Just name uh, off whoever you like. Yeah. Uh, I think the one that's would make me happiest is Derek Lively. That's who I would want them to take. And I'm sure that there's, if there isn't smoke about them taking him now, there probably is. I'm sure there will be leading up to the draft. Uh, because again, you looking at their at their roster. I've already mentioned trading Valanciunas. Uh, he has one year left on his deal, and they don't have a ready made replacement at the five. Uh, Jackson Hayes is a restricted free agent. I th- I'd be surprised if they believe that he's the long term answer there. Otherwise, they would have extended him. So that's the position where they they know that there's something they can do, uh, and lively. Seven foot one, uh, obviously has a lot of defensive talent. Has you know, especially as the season went on at Duke, he showed his versatility in how he played pick and roll coverages. Great communicator, really, really good communicator. Uh, just turned nineteen, I think, in February. He's you know nice and young, but he's mature beyond his years. Uh, and on the Pelicans specifically. He wouldn't get in in the way of the usage of their offensive pieces. So he can be a bit more of a seamless fit. Uh, I think one of the most misunderstood things in this draft is Derek Lively as an offensive player. And it's not I'm, it's not to say that I think the Pelicans are the most creative offensive team. I don't think it's like a blissful system for him, but he's a good offensive player. He is flatly just a very good offensive player. And I think uh, with him on that team, again, in terms of culture setting on defense and being in a place where he's going to be able to get minutes and do NBA things immediately from a a position of physical advantage against his opponents, I I think Lively is a great pick for that. They've played a lot of, uh, you know, drop pick and roll drop ish pick and roll coverage with Valanciunas anyway lively come in and can come in and be good at that pretty quickly and if they want to move to switchier stuff the way that they do when Larry Nance is on the floor lively can do that too so um I like lively a lot 
I think I like him more than most because I consider him a like a a top ten pick. Like he's going to be in the top ten on my board, so uh, he would be the guy. Um, there are others like I would like Hawkins. I would like anyone, anyone who can really really shoot. Like if Grady Dick fell to them, I, you can take Grady Dick no problem. Um, Kobe Bufkin I think is someone who you know just has like a golden left hand who has touch with that left hand from everywhere. Even if the, uh, the volume from three isn't quite there yet, but I think he's going to be a very good player. Uh, some of the smaller guards, you know, Nick Smith, Jr. Uh, Keontae George, the, those wouldn't be bad selections per se. It's just, you know, they still have Kira Lewis. They've got CJ, I think it's going to be harder for those guys to 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 find and lock down their minutes for a team trying to win. Uh, but they're still good. Same same thing with Dariq Whitehead, you know, same deal. And he's dealing with his own injury stuff. And I don't know that New Orleans has distinguished itself as like the best medical team in the league. So I don't know that I would love that fit. But uh lively, Hawkins, Buffkin, um, would all be really, really good. You know, they could take a swing on Bilal if he's there. Uh, but that is a team that is trying to win now that needs shooting and needs improved play in the front court. So though I think they can like dream on some more, maybe higher upside guys who are still around, they better get someone who can shoot that or if, or lively, someone who could shoot or Derek lively. That's what I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I agree with the thought process on a couple of these guys are maybe not quite as high as you, but I think the process of that, Makes a lot of sense. Another guy I'll add real quick is Bryce Sensabaugh. Um, I think as that shooter, like you're talking about, he makes a lot of sense. He's one of my favorite, like just scoring prospects in general. Like I think mm-hmm. um, the, the shooting is awesome, but I think he also can just get to his spots without creating much space, but still get it off really efficiently. Um, he's really interesting. I, I think he would make a lot of sense as, as a floor spacer and as someone they can do that, and obviously he's um got that sort of mini Zion body type of just be <laughs> being massive at his size. Um, yeah, man, I love Bryce. That's yeah. another guy I have in my top ten, and I like. Yeah, same. I wouldn't be upset if the Pels took him, obviously, but he's another guy who's had like injury concerns, and I it's more about wanting the best for Bryce, mm-hmm. and I like I just don't know that the Pels it's just sort of like Ingram keeps getting nicked up. Zion keeps getting hurt. I just, I want the best for everyone and I want things that'll work for everyone. And that's my concern with Bryce going there, but I love Bryce to death. You know, he's been in the top 10 of my board for months now. I mean, I just think he's a stud. I I agree. I think he's, he's exactly at 10 for me, but I'm fine with someone taking him a bit higher than that too. The final guy I'll say here um, would be Maxwell Lewis for me. Um, just as someone to maybe load up on wings for this team, uh, obviously you drafted a couple that are, are doing really well. Dyson can play as a wing, even he's so versatile, but I think Lewis gives them a guy who can space the floor off of the bat. He's going to take some bit of development in a couple of different areas as like a more of a playmaker, which I think is there, but just has to be polished up a bit. Um, and then also defensively, of course he has his issues, though he has the length um, to, to be effective on that end. Uh, it, it just feels like he's not completely engaged all the time. So 
there there's things that definitely has to you know they have to work with him but i think he can provide value off the bat as a floor spacer and as someone that can be effective off ball so i i think that he makes some sense here um i want to move on real quick uh to are there any players that you whether it's you don't even have to like dislike them as players but you just mm-hmm. maybe even wouldn't like the process of why they would maybe pick that player uh yeah so I mentioned Keontae and Nick. I think Nick would be more problematic because, I mean, Nick's mocked in this range, right? And I think, though I like Nick's game, I don't know that New Orleans is the right spot for him to go because they're, I mean, they are really trying to win. And Nick needs to, like, put on a lot of strength. Like, there's a certain thought process where you take Nick with the eye towards McCollum's uh, contract, expiring in another you know two seasons or whenever it is and say well oh well we could take nick and develop him and then he can take over you know when cj goes away but a lot has to go right for that plan to come to fruition um because there's going to be natural hiccups and bumps in the road for a player as young as nick is i mean nick turns 19 this summer um and i just don't know like the success that the pels have had with development really has been with guys who've been a little bit older when they got there. You know, Ingram, even in a trade, was older when he got there. Uh, You know, same with Alonzo. And Trey was 21 when he got there. Uh, Herb was obviously 22. Alvarado, you know, was older when he got there. And going the, like, the really young guard route with how minutes are going to be at a premium with them, uh, I think would be dangerous. And I've, I've mentioned the the thing with injuries. Look, maybe they, uh, maybe they bring in a great treatment staff this off season. All of a sudden they have one of the best medical staffs in the league. I don't know, but anything with that would kind of concern me. So I would say um, Bilal, I mentioned as again, a talent, but I think there's going to be some redundance between him and Dyson there. Uh, in terms of being able to find the floor. I like Bilal a lot as a player, but I think that is, you know, it would just be an issue. Or maybe Bilal comes in and he's better than Dyson Daniels. I don't know. But I just, there's only, there's already a a food shortage in New Orleans, you know, given the mouths they have to feed. So if they want to bring someone in who can, I want someone who can come in who can claim minutes, not that they have to try to find stuff for so i would say someone like him um i'm trying to think of other guys that are sort of mocked in this range along i don't know go ahead i I don't think he would be taking his his range seems so massive to me um i would put city sosoko here just in case as like i do like city quite a bit but i love him yeah yeah i i'm I, i think i don't know if his range is this high quite but it feels like uh, somewhat along the lines of what you said with Bilal, where I think having a guy that plays not similarly to Dyson because they're two different players, but a similar role for this team, it's going to be difficult to... One guy's already having difficulty trying to figure out how to get minutes in his role, and, and having a guy that overlaps some of those same skill sets, I think, you know, just makes it all the more harder to, to figure that out. So I'd put City in this range, but again, I think he probably isn't quite in consideration at 14 but you never know yeah i mean i i have cd i think at 
14th on my board right now. So he'd be in range for me. But yes, it's the same. You have to do right by the by the dart. You got to do right by the, the player and put him in the best position to succeed. I don't know that New Orleans is for CD for some of the same reasons we've been talking about. Uh, I could see like, you know, I could see there being a logic to taking Jet Howard, given some of the things that I have said. But I don't know that I love that at 14. Again, that's someone we were talking about how they'd be able to trade down if they wanted to. If Brooklyn loves someone at 14, they've got those two consecutive picks in the 20s. A lot of these guys we're talking about would be available at 21 and 22 for them. And uh, I think New Orleans would be better served if that's what they're looking for to move down there and, and get two of them there. But Again, they have a lot of talent already, so maybe just adding more and more rookie-scale guys is not really the answer for them. Um, yeah, yeah, anyone else on your mind with them? The, the last guy I'll bring up that I have on my mind that I just want to get your thoughts on how you think he would fit on this team, I guess, for lack of better words, is, is Leonard Miller. Like, yeah, he's, he's a guy in my <laughs> head, too. Yeah. yeah, like, do you think that is... He he's so interesting to me because obviously he's someone that is probably going to take a little bit of time to figure out uh, his, his role on this team, but also he is bigger. He has, you know, paths to minutes with this, with Zion not being completely reliable um, uh, with injuries and also, you know, long-term future with Jonas. Like how do you view Miller with this team and in, in, with pick 14? How would you feel about that? Yeah. So like I said, I think, um, I said someone who could shoot or lively Miller would be like the one exception to that rule. Cause I Miller has so much NBA exceptionalism to his game with how he can move at his size, his handle at his size, his touch at his size, uh, how he, well he rebounds for his age, uh, his production in the G league. Like I, I think Leonard is a clear cut lottery selection um, but he requires a little bit of accommodation, but if there's one thing that the development wise that the Pelicans have, uh, sort of on their resume, it's Fred Vinson, the, the shooting coach. And so if you believe in Fred's ability, like uh, Leonard, by all accounts, very coachable, he's on a rapid development curve, improvement curve. Um, and so if you think that Fred and see something in him or is like, I can get this guy to shoot. Then yeah, you should, they should take him. Like they, <laughs> they should absolutely take him and celebrate after they take him because I can't tell you exactly what the lineup would be with Leonard. Like I, I get that, but he is one of the few players who's going to be drafted after 10. Um, That has a real path to being one of the five best players in the draft. Cause he does. If he shoots, if if he gets, if his touch that he shows 10 feet and in extends out, and this isn't sort of the more wishful, like lively. I love lively, but people are like, he'll stretch out to three. I think that's silly. Leonard has a real chance to do it. So if he does it at his size with everything else that he can bring to the table, like he can be, I don't know. I, I said one of the five best players in the draft. I'll just stick with that. I think he is that has that much physical talent in his game. So yeah, I would be very excited to see how they'd figure out, you know, Leonard Miller and getting him minutes. Cause I agree. I think there is a 
subtly kind of a clearer path for him with Zion going down one year left of Jonas. I don't think they're really committed to Nance for long there. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Yeah. That's uh, and the more I've, you know, over the years done this, it's become less about not even picks. I don't like because maybe that player might be a lot further down on my board than where someone would pick them. It's more about the thought process of, why they take them or how that player succeeds in that, in that sort of um, that area or that, that team, I guess, because I, I think you can, as long as you can reasonably articulate why you would make that pick, uh, I, I can get behind it to some degree. So that's become more what it's been for me. Um, but Chuck, we are a draft podcast and at heart, we're <laughs> absolute nerds with this thing. So who are your favorite undrafted free agents possibly for this team? Now that every team has three, two ways, you know, there's, there's more options and possibilities for guys to maybe find, uh, NBA success, uh, than they did previously. So who would be some names in this range that you'd be interested in? Sure. Uh, Jordan Miller, who I love. If he, for what he should be drafted, if you know teams are doing their jobs, but if for whatever reason he is not, then Jordan Miller forever as uh, a bench wing who can execute defensive schemes. He has a six eleven plus wingspan, all kinds of feel on both sides of the ball, and incredible touch. So uh, he would be one that's certainly very high. Uh, Again, I expect this player to be drafted, but draft night can be weird. If someone doesn't get taken in the top 35, their agent starts saying, don't draft him, don't draft him. He'd rather be a UDFA. (laughs) So if someone like Ricky Council fell into that pool, I would love to see them get Ricky Council because I think Ricky, in the same way Leonard is going to likely go out of the top 10, but has a chance to be a top five player, Ricky is going to go probably outside of the first round. And I think he has a chance to be a top 20 player in the draft. You know, he's another one. He's another Fred Vinson that's tailor made for Fred Vinson because Ricky's got the athleticism, the competitive competitiveness uh, off the dribble skill. You know, he's got a lot of NBA talent. All he needs is his catch and shoot numbers to creep up and use that. And he shoots 80 plus percent from the line. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit with him. Uh, but some guys who I guess both those guys were, you know, either featured over the course of the season or, you know, Miller went to the final four and was a combine darling. So I guess some deeper names, I would say uh, Jalen Slauson, Furman. I think he could be a guy uh, that's in sort of the herb mold and I think could find a place there. Another very unselfish guy, good feel has some shooting touch, uh, but wing size can play NBA wing defense likely starting next year. Um, who else? Um, I'll throw a couple names out real quick. Um, go, yeah, please do. I, I think one guy, I don't know if I've even mentioned him yet, but I really, really just believe in as as being this next like two-way guy who find some NBA success as just a role player probably off the bench, but I really like Caleb McConnell as like a defensive stopper type. Uh, Mm -hmm. They had success in the past, obviously with um, Alvarado and it's not necessarily like a need or anything for them, but he just feels to me like a guy that some team is going to take with a two way and he's going to be able to get on the court because he has like a ready-made NBA skill that he could bring. Obviously he struggles offensively, but, 
I think just being able to be a reliable source of defense that a coach can count on is going to get you some minutes at some point. So um, he's, he's a I name think, I really like. And I think in not as a stopper in that way, as more of a team defender, but someone who's going to be able to do that and shoot is a Demoy Hodge from Missouri. Mm-hmm. I think he could be another one who like, if if he signed up with the Pelicans and went to summer league, he he'll have some summer league game where he scores, you know, twenty five. Just because when he gets hot from three, he gets very 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 hot. So uh, that would be another guy, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, just to throw a couple more names out here, because um, this is obviously like a lot of our favorite parts is just the undrafted part, the less names, <laughs> uh, lesser names. Um, I'll throw. Uh, Taylor Funk out here he is super um he is funky because he's like (laughs) uh just this old forward he's gonna be 26 during his rookie season so super old for this draft Mm -hmm. class but he does have like an extremely quick shot his passing is super super crisp uh the beautiful touch on his passes um he could probably average like four more assists per game if his teammates could handle the ball um, but he's like a really interesting guy to me as just a bet on a two-way guy. Obviously he's old and it, it's going to limit him some, but I think, you know, having a guy that could space the floor and pass uh, to some degree, he, there's a way that he has a NBA career. Um, the final guy I'll throw out here, just cause you know, I don't want to spend a full hour on these guys though. I'd like to would be uh, Nikos. I have trouble with his last name. Rockavopoulos or something similar along that line. Uh, I probably just, you know, insulted him, but I think that he has like amazing shooting ability uh, off the catch. Someone that is really getting overlooked here um, as a, maybe probably a draft and stash guy. Um, He's 22, so he's auto eligible, but I think he probably stays for another year or two. Um, But as an off the catch guy, connective passer again, um, I think these bets for the Pelicans of, of just guys who can shoot and be reliable passers, um, even though they might struggle defensively, is an archetype I would look at for this team. So just a couple names that they're out there. I don't know if you had any more, Chuck. Uh, uh, you... Not on the UDFA, but a name that we didn't mention for 14, now that you're talking about this, is a guy I know you, you and I both really like that would seem like an aggressive pick at 14, but... Uh, I, I like to see Podchemsky on this team because just they not only do they lack some outside shooting besides Trey, but their offense can get a little stuck in the mud and a little ISO heavy in relying on um, Zion. But when he was hurt, Ingram, you know, Ingram is a mid range kind of surgeon. You know, that's how he plays. And, you know, Pods probably has maybe the best overall feel in the class on offense. So I, you know, he would, he would bring something very valuable to them. You know, Dyson has a lot of feel, but he doesn't have the shooting to go with it. Pods obviously does. Um, And I would like to see him on that team, especially if they were to trade down at 21 and 22 and take pods there. I, that's a home run to me. So just in terms of, again, sort of a hand in glove fit for, taking a player who will find his way onto the floor and claim minutes. I feel as though pods has a good chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and this, I have him exactly at 14 on my board. So like I would 
I don't think he'll probably go this high, but I think that I, I'm I, the the longer I do this, the more of a fan I become of just taking guys you believe in. Like I know yeah. I know that there's you know stocks that guys have, but like if you really believe in a guy, just take them. Don't take that chance that they'll follow you at the next pick. Like and, just go for it. And I'm gonna have pause between 13 and 17. He's gonna be yeah. somewhere in there. I think I'm Bryce thinking, has so. him at like five or something. Um, I love Bryce. <laughs> Always love Bryce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he he's all in on pods. We are too. Um, I think he just is a re- he might be a pathway to honestly getting more minutes for Dyson and her. But like, if you yes, have more great guys point. space the floor alongside yeah. them, I think that helps get them minutes. Even though they it's another position, another guy that's getting minutes. I think it helps posi- uh, lineup wise to to have more floor spacing with them. So, and they like to have um. Alvarado really capped in their bench minutes with good reason. I mean, his his bench minutes have been very positive for them. But I think that, you know, you, you would need to be against the right team and everything. But I think Pods could play next to Alvarado. I mean, he's the, played next to yeah. Carlos Stewart. Like, he can pl- be an off-ball player. Um, and I just think help, you know, connect and just sort of lift those units the, the more reps he gets. Absolutely. And and that's, I think, I mean, a big part of why I like Podziemski so much is to me, he can play on or off the ball. And with Dyson, I know we were both really in on Dyson last cycle where he can be like a wing or a guard. So you can play all three of them if you want off the bench and it, it, it would probably work. So I think that there's a, a lot of names, you know, here in this range that we could talk about that make sense. And in some that obviously are a little harder to figure out. Um, but overall, Chuck, uh, well, I'll throw it at you real quick as to what would be like the, the worst case scenario this summer, like this offseason in totality for the Pelicans. Worst case scenario, they give Jonas a max extension. That'd be pretty bad. <laughs> uh, Zion retires. That'd be a tough beat. <laughs> I think um, if they realistically speaking, they're sitting there at 14. I think if they were to trade up and sacrifice some future capital because they feel like they really love someone and they just sort of pick the wrong guy. Cause well, I think what we've been saying is there should be like, I think it's very likely that one of lively and Leonard Miller is there at 14. I think it's very likely the Podchemsky and, and Hawkins uh, are there at 14. So, and Buffkin too, I think he, he's probably there at 14. So they will have good options there. And so the the way to sort of get, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory would be to trade up. And if they, you know, looking at who they could fall in love with, if they think that like, if for whatever reason, let's say Cam Whitmore is starting to slide a little bit. I doubt it. I think that his combine testing is probably... um you know, like has him in the top five, but Whitmore is a guy, you know, maybe Vincent works with him and the shooting's just there and it's perfect. And this is a wonderful fit and a great move for the Pels. But that's an example of a guy who I think needs some more time than it seems to find his way in the league. And there's going to be a, a little bit more in the way of growing pains with him than meets the eye. So uh, that is fine, and he could turn out to be a really good player. Like I obviously still think highly of him as a prospect, but in terms of sort of the, those those consensus top tenny guys, 
if they were to trade up and take him and all of a sudden now he needs a lot of patience in the same way that Dyson needs patience and they still can't figure out their rotations, I think that could sort of come back to start to bite him a little bit. Um, in terms of staying at 14, a guy who they would take who I think would be tough in the same sort of vein um, as Whitmore, but a different player would be like taking Gigi there. I think it'd be hard for Gigi to get minutes on that team. And, you know, the, again, past draft um, philosophy would be like, well, if you think Gigi's the best talent, you just take him and you just take him and you have him. And I really don't think that in the modern NBA, that's how you operate at pick 14. You can operate that way at pick four, but I don't think you operate that way at pick 14. So um, something like that, I would would leave sort of a, a bad taste in my mouth. Just again, because I'm looking at how the player would succeed on the team, not disparaging the player necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Uh, we do like to end positive, though. So what would be like your your dream scenario, uh, whether it be, you know, draft night or just in totality for this offseason on the Pelicans? Uh, oh, God, in totality. Let's see. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I floated a tra- I floated a trade like a month or so ago on Twitter in a poll. Uh, that was Zion for four in Jalen Green. I just want to see what people would say. <laughs> they were everyone was like, ah, "Get away from me!" But uh, short of anything seismic, because we're not going to do anything seismic. Um, if they were to trade for those two Brooklyn picks at twenty one and twenty two, and they got uh, like Lively and Bryce. Because there's Bryce is being mocked down there now. And Lively can always slide due to, you know, center fatigue and this perceived replaceability of centers, which I think is a, a big modern myth in the NBA. But uh, if they got those two at those two picks, those are two top 10 players on my board. And, you know, my concerns about Bryce's injury or not, I mean, that's a lot of talent you're putting on your team. Uh, failing that, I think if they take Lively or um, Leonard, I think that that's really, really good. Um, There's lots of ways for them to get to like a B plus in my book for them to get to an A plus. It probably involves trading Valanchunas for something like really real and good. And I don't know how that trade market is going to shake out. Like I said, I don't know that. I think that doing it for Aiton is like very fun if you're just matching the timeline of CJ's contract. And I think that'd be a nice way to maximize that contract without necessarily, I guess, mortgaging the years beyond it. But is there a way for them to become like a title contender this year? Um, Like with some big offseason move? Probably not. It's probably just... um you know, staying the course with Zion. Maybe if they got Miles Turner, that'd be interesting, but they'd have to include a lot of draft capital, I think, to make that happen. But I'd be pumped about that team too. Why? What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean, we mentioned a lot of good names earlier, so coming away with that, I think, would make a lot of sense. Like, I would... I, I, you've kind of sold me on Podzimski, I think. Um, I, I, for, I don't think it's hard to sell you yeah. on Pods. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, um. I'd be really in on that. I'd be 
I think best case scenario ultimately would be you find out who the who your best five on the floor are and those guys mm-hmm. stay healthy and you're able to figure out your rotation uh complete like you have a good health season and you're able to completely figure out what the guys you want to move forward are right who who you want to move forward with on this team and i think that that's ultimately like the big win and i think adding to that could go in a variety of ways like we've already talked about like i think adding to this team is not hard to do because there's so many so much versatility and in, in so many different um individual skills that, that these guys bring on this roster so I think your the best case scenario would be having a good season of health and taking you know whatever guys we've mentioned earlier like if we traded down I like that idea of trading down and just maximizing your value uh maybe go with um Sensaba and Podziemski like I think that would be an awesome Hell yeah. draft to come Hell up yeah. with um yeah. there's a bunch of guys we've talked about that you know I I could sell on sell myself on so I think ultimately it all stems from you know how does this team move forward with health? And I think from there, you just have a bit clearer of a picture of, of how you want to um, move forward with this team uh, in, the, in the long term. Um, but Chuck, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know there's a lot of scheduling difficulties beforehand, so I apologize for that. Um, but I just want to thank you again for uh, you know could, taking the time out to, to join us. Um, we always have a pleasure uh, talking together. Um, it's been a long time. So, if you just want to plug yourself, you do a lot of great work. Um, I listen to your podcast still, like religiously. Uh, everybody else that listens to us should do the same. Um, but go ahead and just plug yourself and tell people where they could find you. Thank you very much, Stone. Not only for the kind words, but for the listens. Um, Chucking Darts NBA and Draft Podcast. It's wherever you get podcasts. I'm at Chucking Darts on Twitter. If you follow me, you'll get the podcast. Uh I have a sub stack that I've only written one piece for. I am in the process of writing a piece about trying to specify and not quite pin down, but approach pinning down draft pick trade value. Since that's so much in the cycle, this uh, it's so much in this cycle with Charlotte, Portland, Houston, Detroit, I'm trying to feel like what that actually means and is worth. Cause I think it's a big inefficiency. So hopefully I finish that and I get it out. Y'all can read that. I'll write something about my final board when it that time comes. That'll be week of the draft. But I usually put out one or two episodes a week. Uh, my goal is to uh, be able to claim that like I've had person after person who can no longer come on my podcast because they've been hired by the NBA. Currently, uh, I think two people can claim that distinction, hopefully more in the offing. But uh, if you want to... If you want to listen, please do. If you like it, please leave a five-star review that makes me happy. And I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Make Chuck happy. Give him a five-star review. Uh, <laughs> if you like this podcast, make me happy. Give him a five-star review. Um, it's been a pleasure having you again. Like I said, uh, check out all his podcasts. They're really great. Um, I get excited whenever a new one drops in my feet. I'm like, oh, great. I get to walk my dog and listen to this. So um, <laughs> uh, I always turn it on for that. That's my dog walking podcast. So hell yeah. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So great, great content as usual. Um, you can follow this podcast at Upside Swings on Twitter. 
We have our website. You can check out all our boards, all the, the notes from this podcast and all the other ones we've done. Um, and uh, we'll be pushing out, you know, a lot of content all the way up until the draft. Uh, you could follow me at report underscore court. Uh, you could follow my co-hosts who aren't here, but you could follow them at Ali underscore oop underscore coop and at Bryce Hendrick 14. So thanks for listening. Um, hopefully we hit our ceiling as my co-host Bryce would say, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.